Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. After standing before the judgment seat two weeks ago and then going to hell last week, I'm going to send you to heaven this week. Well, maybe not literally, but uh, how many of you are ready for some good news? All right. Actually, it's all good news if we respond to it the right way. The reason we're talking, listen, the reason we're talking about death and what happens right after we die is because what we think about eternity really does impact how we live today. It, it really does. So that's why we, we even doing this series in the first place. But if you weren't here or didn't hear the other two messages, weren't here for the first two weeks, you're sort of kind of coming in toward the, towards the end of the movie, so to speak. So real quick, I want to get you up to speed. In week one, we talked about three things that happen right after we take our last breath on this planet. First thing is our physical body dies, but our soul continues to live. And frankly, that's what I do, what I that's why I do what I do. Because I do believe that people live forever. Family church, we believe that people live forever. And they need to know the good news. So first thing that happens after we take our last breath on this planet, our physical body dies, but our soul continues to live. Second, our soul separates from our body. And then third, we're all going to face judgment. And the Bible mentions two judgments, the great white throne judgment, which is for unbelievers, those who rejected the love and forgiveness that God offers us through Jesus Christ. And the second judgment is the judgment seat of Christ, which is for believers, those who accepted God's gift of forgiveness and sins of sins through Jesus Christ. And the Bible is very clear about this, okay? When it comes to eternity, there are only two options, two destinations. Eternity in God's presence, which is called heaven, and eternity apart from God's presence, which the Bible calls hell. Jesus actually explained this process in a parable he told once. It was kind of an agricultural parable. In Matthew 25, 31, he said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him, verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. You see that? And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is heaven. This is eternity in God's presence. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now this is hell, eternity apart from God's presence. That's what we talked about last week. But as I was preparing for this morning's message, you know, it dawned on me that no matter how hard I try, I'll never really be able to succeed at this message because I can't do heaven justice. No one can do heaven justice. I don't care. Billy Graham couldn't have done heaven. Stephen Furtick couldn't do heaven justice. No, I don't care. Name your favorite preacher. No one can do heaven justice. In fact, Paul even proved that point when he said this in 1 Corinthians 2.9. No eye has seen nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Even though there's a lot about heaven we don't know, the Bible actually does address many of the questions that we have about heaven. So as we conclude our series this morning, we're going to look at God's word to try and answer some of the more common questions that people have about heaven. 
Full disclosure, I started out with about 12 of these, and I thought, well, gosh, I could go on forever because there's so many different questions about heaven. But I paired it back to eight. So let's jump right in with the question that I probably get asked more than any other about heaven. Will there be pets in heaven? The answer is yours will, but ours won't. Actually, I, there was a time I thought that our dogs, Misha and Macy, uh, were sanctified and on their way to heaven. But as they've gotten older, I think they're backsliding some, and they, they, they no longer know the difference between right and wrong. Right being going to the bathroom outside, wrong going to the bathroom inside. But anyway, let's see what the Bible has to say. Does the Bible even address the question of pets or dogs in heaven? Not specifically, but the wisest man who ever lived, a guy by the name of Solomon, helps us answer this question. In the book of Ecclesiastes that he wrote, he basically tells us that, that a man's soul is eternal, but a, but a pet's is not. Ephesians, or excuse me, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 19. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast for all his vanity. All go to one place, verses 20 and 21, all go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, watch this, and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So in other words, what Solomon is saying here, he's saying, look, animals and beasts are alike in this way, they both die. Then he goes on to say, who knows that the breath of man ascends upward and the breath of the beast ascends downward to the earth. Now here is the difference. The breath or the spirit of a man ascends into heaven, but an animal's does not. If there are animals in heaven and on the new earth, then they will likely be new animals that God has created, probably not our resurrected pets. However, However, it is interesting that when the prophet Isaiah describes the new heaven and the new earth, he describes and how peaceful it will be, he actually mentions some animals. In Isaiah 65, verse 25, he says, The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. So from what the Bible says about this, here's what we do know. We know that God has a special place for each of his created beings. That we do know. Thus, I think it is safe to say that animals have a purpose in God's creation. Now, having, having said that, okay, having said that, I do need to tell you that nowhere does the Bible state or indicate that animals will experience life after death. I suppose the best way to summarize the answer to this first question would be to say that heaven will lack nothing that is good. And honestly, if animals can somehow add to our enjoyment of heaven, then perhaps we'll see our pets when we get to heaven. How's that? Is that a good diplomatic way to to answer that question. All right, question number two. Will there be marriage in heaven, or more accurately, if I'm married on earth, will I be married to the same person in heaven? Well, that depends on who you ask. If you ask Jesus, the answer is no. If you ask my wife, the answer is there's going to be one married couple in heaven, <laughs> and that is Mr. and Mrs. Wright. Actually, Jesus did answer this question for us. One day, a group of Sadducees came to Jesus, and they were trying to trick him trip him up with a question that they thought he wouldn't be able to answer, which would kind of expose him as just another false wannabe Messiah, and then the people would quit following him. The question, in essence, was this. Jesus, suppose a woman is married not once, not twice, not three times, not even four times, but seven stinking times. Are you kidding me? Right? Sue's folks, Alan and Lou, 
Brady, who are part of our eCampus church and usually watch our online live stream, uh, my mother-in-law's favorite musical is Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Well, here's a new one for you, Lou. How about One Bride for Seven Brothers? Because that's basically the question that the Sadducees were asking here, right? I mean, that ought to at least sell tickets on Broadway, a title like that. The Sadducees continue. So Jesus, when this woman dies, who's been married seven times, all right, when she dies in the next life, whose wife will she be? And this is Jesus' answer in verse 22, Matthew 22, verse 30. In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, now please note what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say that when we die, we become angels. That's not what he's saying here. We do not become angels when we die. Jesus is simply saying that in our resurrected bodies, we're like angels in this regard. We will not marry. Okay, that, that doesn't mean you won't recognize your mate. In fact, it appears as though we will have a relationship with, if we were married on earth, with our, our mate, uh, just as we do with other, other friends who go to heaven. But it's going to be a different kind of relationship than, than a marriage. So, look, if, if the thought that you're not going to be married when you get to heaven or a little barky, your pet's not going to be with you, uh, if that causes you angst and concern, look, God knows exactly what we need to be happy in heaven, okay? And nothing's going to be lacking in heaven. Just want to just throw that out and remind you of that fact, okay? So, question three, will we have a body in heaven? Yes, we will have some type of body in heaven. Revelation 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? Then they were each given a white robe. Look, watch this now. They were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Now, here John's talking about uh, martyrs, those who gave up their life uh, on this, in this life, on this planet, for, for the kingdom of God. And they're now in heaven. And notice what it says that they were given when they arrived in heaven. They were each given a white robe. Okay, question. Why would they need a robe if they didn't have a body? Hmm? And think about this. It, it also says this, and I never noticed this before until my study this past week. It kind of jumped out at me. It says they were each given a robe. Now, I can't prove it, but here's my take on this. Since, since each of us are going uh, to heaven, each of us that are going to heaven will be giving, given a robe, I'm inclined to think that it's going to be like a custom-made, tailor-suited robe. Right? Not one of those hospital robes <laughs> that we have to keep turning around and make sure it's not flapping open in the back or something like that. Right? It's interesting because we know for a fact that the early church had the same question or had some of these same questions because Paul actually tried to answer uh, this in his letter both to the believers at Philippi as well as to the believers at Corinth. To the church at Philippi, he said, said when, when they got to heaven, they would have a, he called it a glorified body. That's in Philippians 3.21. So to the, to the Christians at Philippi and the church at Philippi, he, talked that he, he said it was a glorified body when they got to heaven. But then when writing to the church at Corinth, he expounds a little more on what this glorified body would be like. And it's interesting because he uses Jesus as an example. Let's read it in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47. The first man was from the earth, and he's referencing Adam here, a man of dust. 
The second man, and here he's referring to Jesus, is from heaven. Verse 48, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. In other words, Adam had an earthly body just like we have an earthly body. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. All right, let's just unpack this and see what he's saying. Paul's trying to explain what our heavenly body will be like here, and he uses Jesus as the, as the example. He says, look, Jesus got tired, Jesus got hungry, just like we get tired and we get hungry. And that body that Jesus had died a literal physical death. But he was resurrected with a heavenly body, and that heavenly body, it walked on this earth. That heavenly body ate on this earth. John tells us that shortly after Jesus rose from the dead, that he had breakfast with his disciples by the Sea of Galilee one morning, which means apparently we will eat in heaven, right? But not out of necessity, but simply for pleasure, right? And if we're eating just for pleasure, right, you know what that means, don't you? That means no calories. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Jesus. Right? That means no calories. That means the Krispy Kreme hot donuts light is always on. <laughs> Did you know that Krispy Kreme actually came out with an app that will let you know when the Krispy Kreme closest to you is setting up some fresh donuts? I'm not saying I have that. A friend of mine told me that they actually had one like that. The point being, what's the point? I got sidetracked by Krispy Kreme. The point being, Jesus' glorified body ate. That same heavenly body was walking down the road one day and disappeared from sight. Just, boom, it was gone. That same heavenly body walked through a locked door one time. Somehow, our body and our spirit are reunited in heaven when Jesus comes back. Now, remember when Jesus told Thomas, doubting Thomas, he said, no, no, Thomas, it's me. You know, re reach your finger out and, and, and touch me, Right? He also told Thomas, he says, touch, touch my wounds. Th those wounds that were afflicted upon him at the, at the crucifixion. So, so apparently from that, we know that there's some kind, of, some kind of meshing of our earthly body with our resurrected or glorified body. No, I don't know how it works. No one knows exactly how it works. But it's interesting that Paul devotes an entire chapter to helping explain the differences between our terrestrial or celestial bodies, heavenly bodies, and our earthly body. And that's all found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 if you want to do some more reading and study on it. All right, question number four. Will we know what's happening on earth when we're in heaven? The short answer is yes, but with a disclaimer. Well, we'll know what's going on, but we'll, we'll know with kind of a heavenly perspective. In Revelation 6 verse 10, it says, How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? He's talking about the martyrs again. See, they knew that their offenders were still living on this planet. They, they could see those who had killed them walking around on earth, apparently. So, so we'll actually see what's taking place here on earth. But whatever we see taking place on earth, it's going to be through the grid of a divine heavenly perspective. Now, what that looks like, I don't know. I don't know. But it will certainly be different than how we see things play out on this planet from this perspective. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
you know, it's, it's not a coincidence that the writer says this right after mentioning many of the Old Testament saints that had gone on before. Hebrews chapter 11 is commonly referred to as the, the Hall of Faith chapter because of the numerous Old Testament champions of faith, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah. And then in the very next chapter, he talks about being surrounded by this large group of people who remain faithful to God. Those who finish the race is how he put it and have received their heavenly reward. And, and they're now in heaven cheering us on. Isn't that cool? They're, they're, those Old Testament saints, they're in heaven cheering us on. I mean, I mean that, that, that alone should encourage us to continue running the race, right? You know, the first time that I attended a cross-country meet was when our son Colin ran cross-country in high school. It was at Anderson County, and Sue and I had drove down for the meet. And, you know, one thing that really struck us was how positive and encouraging all the parents and spectators were. I mean, almost to a person clapping and cheering, you know, encouraging the runners as they, as they ran that final stretch to the finish line. We weren't used to that. That really caught us by surprise because, you know, most of our, all of our boys play basketball, so we're used to the bickering and the griping and the yelling at the coach and referees and sometimes even the kids. That's what we were used to. It was just so refreshing to be at a cross-country meet, and pretty much everyone was just... Oh, come on, you can do it, you can do it. Even those that are like way far behind. People just run alongside of them. You can do it, you can do it, right? So Luke 15, verse seven. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So apparently there are times that those in heaven are gonna know what's happening on earth and one of those times is when people on earth get saved. Because it's party time in heaven. It's what it says. Doesn't it say that? When someone gets saved, it's, that's why they're all up there waiting for someone to get saved so they can have another party. Right? Apparently, there are times in heaven that we, we do see what's going on. And one of those is when someone accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Question number five. Will we remember any of our previous life on earth? Well, again, I think verse 10, it kind of answers that for us in Revelation 6, verse 10. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These saints who had gone on to heaven apparently remembered how they ended up in heaven. These are these, again, talking about the martyrs. They, apparently they didn't forget that they were killed for their faith in Christ, which when you think about it would make some, for some pretty interesting conversations when we're in heaven, right? Talking to someone. So how'd you end up here? See that dude down there in the Home Depot parking lot? <laughs> T-bone my pickup, killed me just like that. That's how I ended up here, right? I, I don't know how it's gonna play out, but apparently, yeah, we are going to recognize what's going on here on earth, but it is going to be from a different perspective. Last week when talking about help, we looked at the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And remember the comment the rich man made to Abraham in Luke 16, 24. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember, see that word? Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. You know, more than one Bible scholar embraces the idea that 
in heaven, our memories will serve to make us grateful. And really, that would almost have to be the case if you think about it, because, you know, we're in heaven, for goodness sakes, right? There's no way that we could enjoy heaven if we were commiserating over bad memories. But think about this. If you don't have anything to compare heaven to, how could you appreciate it? The difference between our memory in heaven and our memory in hell is in heaven, our memories will make us grateful. In hell, our memories will torment us because they knew they had a chance and they blew it. They chose to put themselves in that place. So yes, apparently we will have at least some type of memory of our life on this planet when we're in heaven. Question number six, will we recognize other people in heaven? The answer is yes, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. Not only will we know people, apparently we'll know them like we've never known them before. We, you know, we think we know people in this life, but we really don't. We know what they want us to know. That's what we know in this life. In heaven, we are finally going to really get to know and understand people. Matthew 8, verse 11. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now think about the implications of that statement by Jesus. We'll actually get to sit down with Abraham and share a meal. Ask him, Abraham, what was going through your mind, right? What was going through your mind when you took Isaac up to the top of Mount Moriah to sacrifice him on the altar? Did you really believe God was going to come through, right? Did you really believe God was going to provide a sacrifice or were you scared? You can ask Peter, hey, Peter, what was it like to walk on water? Ask David, hey, when you hit Goliath with that stone, was it skill or was that luck? All you moms who had a difficult childbirth, you can go up, you can find Eve, go up to her and say, woman, what were you thinking? So apparently we will recognize others in heaven. Probably the most intriguing thing about this aspect of heaven is what age we will be in heaven, which really doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you consider that age is pretty much a non-factor when you're living in eternity, right? But I think it is something that I've thought about it. I mean, how many of you have thought, you know, what age are we going to, to be? Because we want to know. I mean, we would like to know what age our stillborn daughter, Kasia, is going to be when we see her in heaven. Will she be a baby? Will she be older? What about elderly people who die? Do they remain, do they remain elderly in heaven? Unfortunately, the Bible does not specifically answer this question some have guessed that, that, that babies are given a, a, a resurrection body. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 49, uh, that babies are given a, a resurrected body that is kind of fast-forwarded to the ideal age, just as those who die at an old age are rewound to the ideal age. All right? Uh, so this would indicate that there won't be any children or elderly people in heaven, which begs the question, Okay, what's the ideal age then? If that's true, and again, no one knows. We're just, you know, they're just theologians trying to, you know, sit at a table and have a think tank think and, and talk about it. So what is the ideal age? Some believe it to be around 30. Church uh, father and theologian Thomas Aquinas, he believed and taught. He taught that since Jesus died at the age of 32 or 33, that that's the age that we'll all be in heaven. And he cites that verse in 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. 
But again, this is, this is all just speculation. One thing is for certain, whatever age we will appear to be, we're going to be gloriously perfect, perfect. Our entire person will, will be made flawless, holy, and complete, Christ-like. We will lose all trace of human fallenness, uh, wearing the white robes of purity, holiness, and absolute perfection. So whatever age we are, it will be the age of complete and total perfection. Number seven, what are we going to do in heaven? What are we going to do when we get up there? <clears throat> One of the most common misconceptions about heaven is that it's going to be boring. Why do so many people believe that heaven's going to be boring? I'll tell you why. It's because Satan has been winning the marketing battle in that area. That's why. Satan's done a masterful job of convincing people that heaven's going to just be this eternal, boring church service and hell's going to be this huge party, right? I don't know how you think about heaven. I guess I'd always kind of sort of thought that, you know, when, when we die and we go to heaven, there's going to be this long line of people, right, waiting, waiting in the clouds, waiting to, to get in, waiting, waiting to get to the pearly gates. And St. Peter's going to, you know, check our credentials, make sure that we're on the list. And if your name's on the list, he's going to let you in and hand you a white robe and a harp and then send you to your assigned cloud. And for the rest of eternity, you're going to be sitting on a cloud in your white robe playing a harp. Folks, that, that's hell. That, that's, that's not heaven. I'm telling you, that is hell. So, so what are we going to do when we get to heaven? Well, let's let John answer that question for us. Revelation 7, verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. Here it is. You want to know what we're going to do in heaven? Serve him day and night in his temple. We're going to serve Jesus. Now, what that service looks like, we don't know for sure. But what I hope you'll understand is this. Heaven's going to be the opposite of boredom. Right? When you think about it, everything that you enjoy on earth is a result of, of a gift from God in heaven. So when you go to heaven, you're going to enjoy everything that you enjoyed on earth, but there's going to be no more sin, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain. It, it's the absence of everything evil, and it's the presence of everything good. Heaven is the opposite of boredom. It is the presence of God. John tells us specifically that we won't lack for things to do in heaven in that verse there. Don Piper, who was clinically dead for an hour and a half, 90 minutes, he wrote a book called 90 Minutes in Heaven. Anyone read that book, 90 Minutes in Heaven? I want to read you an excerpt from uh, this book that he wrote. He, he actually had this death and back-to-life experience. It's, it's been medically documented that this guy was declared clinically dead for 90 minutes. Now, I want to preface my comments by reminding you that we need to be very careful when, when evaluating what heaven's like based on people who said they went there and then came back to life. Because so, I'm not discounting these stories. In fact, some of them can be very inspiring and encouraging. But we cannot put these accounts of heaven on the same level with what the scripture says about it. Okay, I just want to make that, that's my disclaimer here, all right? But I do think that there are some interesting insights to be learned from some of these eyewitness accounts. So I want you to listen to what this eyewitness had to say about when he died and went to heaven. He says, as I try to explain heaven, my words seem weak and hardly adequate because I have to use earthly human terms to describe unimaginable joy, excitement, warmth, and total happiness. Everyone continually embraced me 
touched me, spoke to me, laughed and praised God. And this seemed to go on for a long time, but I never got tired of it. My father was one of 11 children. Some of his brothers and sisters had as many as 13 children. When I was a kid, our family reunions were so big, we had to reserve an entire city park in Monticello, Arkansas. We pipers are affectionate with a lot of hugging and kissing when we gather together. None of those earthly family reunions prepared me for the sublime gathering of saints I experienced at the gates of heaven. Many of those who gathered with us in that city park in Monticello were some of the same ones who were there to greet me at the gates of heaven. Heaven was many things, but without a doubt, it was the greatest family reunion of all. Everything I experienced was like a first-class buffet for the senses. I had never felt such powerful embraces or feasted my eyes on such beauty. Heaven's light and texture defy earthly eyes or explanation. Warm, radiant light engulfed me. As I looked around, I could hardly grasp the vivid, dazzling colors. Every hue and tone surpassed anything I had ever seen. With all the heightened awareness of my senses, I felt as if I had never seen, heard, or felt anything so real before. Never in my happiest moments had I felt so fully alive. Sounds like a place that I'd like to visit, right? Dear ones, <clears throat> the greatest thing about heaven will be the fellowship that we're going to have, both with one another, but also with the Lord himself, which is the exact opposite of hell. We talked about this last week, but in hell, people won't ever see or talk to anyone ever, forever. Last question. Number eight, who will be in heaven? See, here's where we have what is probably the greatest misconception about heaven because all around the world today, so many people wrongly believe that most people are going to go to heaven. It doesn't matter what I do, what, how I live, what I believe. At the end of my life, if the good things I did outweigh the bad things I did, then I'm good. I'm in. I haven't killed anybody, or if I did, they deserved it, I'm not a drug dealer, I'm not a child molester, I'm not a rapist. So heaven is just the default destination for everyone, right? According to Jesus, no, that's, that's not right. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. You see that? Many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The truth is, good people don't go to heaven when they die. Who goes to heaven? Forgiven people go to heaven. That's who goes to heaven. Revelation 21 verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment or freely. You see that? We don't earn, there's nothing we can do. Nothing we can do, folks, to earn our way to heaven. Very next verse, Revelation 21, 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Revelation 22, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, 
And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life, here it is again, without price or freely. Romans 10 verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then verse 13 of Romans 10, for everyone, say that word with me, everyone. One more time, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So who's gonna be in heaven? Those who drink from that spring of the water of life that God offers us freely. Those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the story is told of a time when the brilliant inventor, Albert Einstein was going, riding on a train. He was going to an out-of-town speaking engagement. So he's riding along on the train, and after a few minutes, the conductor stopped by to punch his ticket. The great scientist was going over his notes, totally preoccupied with his work, and with great embarrassment, he's rummaging through his coat pockets, his briefcase, to try and find his ticket, but he couldn't find it. The conductor, conductor said, that's, that's okay, Mr. Mr. Einstein. We all know who you are. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Everything's okay. The conductor continued to walk on down the aisle, punching people's tickets. Before he moved to the next car, he looked back and he saw Dr. Einstein down on his hands and knees looking for that ticket. Walked back to him and he said, Dr. Einstein, look, please, please don't worry about it. I know who you are. Einstein looked up and said, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. Do you know where you're going after you die? What we think about eternity does impact how we live today. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. 2 Corinthians 4.16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. God, help us to understand that this world is not our home, that what we see and experience here, it's not gonna last. Give us an eternal mindset and help us live for what will last forever, God. Give us, give us a heart that breaks for what breaks your heart. Give us eyes to see the needs of, of people that you've called us to reach out to with love and grace. The same unconditional love and grace that you offered us when we didn't deserve it. Give us your love and passion and urgency to do what you created us to do. Help us understand that, that there's nothing that we could ever do to be good enough to make it to heaven. That's why you sent your son, Jesus. So his goodness would make a way for us to go to heaven. So that anyone, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, but anyone who calls on the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus, that that person would be saved. For those who might be feeling the weight and condemnation of, of not being good enough, of not measuring up, of not being able to meet the, your standards, God. Help them to see that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if that's you, if you're not sure if you died today that you would go to heaven, 
it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer that will give you that assurance. If you'd just be willing to pray this simple prayer with me, just pray, Heavenly Father, I honestly don't know that if I died today that I'd go to heaven. And I want that assurance. I, I want to make things right with you, God. So please forgive me of all my sins, all those things that I've done, things I've said that have hurt others, that have hurt me, and most importantly, that have hurt you, God. Forgive me of those things. Make me new. Jesus, save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me begin living my life for you as I look to you and your word to guide and direct my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for new life. And now you have mine in return. In Jesus' name.